Hi, I'm Rochelle Jackson. Welcome to The Crime Couch. I'm an investigative journalist and true crime author, and I know who's who in the zoo, the crims, the cops, and the interesting individuals in between. So get comfy and join me each week on The Crime Couch for a rollicking, intriguing tale. It'll be one heck of a journey. Bill Jackson is a former top cop with Victoria Police, registered number 12372. He was a chief superintendent, awarded an APM, and when Bill retired at 60, he was the longest serving member in the state. He's also my dad. We're sitting in Bill's office on a typical Melbourne spring day. Hi, Bill. Thanks very much for sitting with me again on the crime couch. Hello, Rochelle. You spent 40 years in the job and you worked with many chief commissioners. I'm going to name some of them and would you mind just giving me your opinion of them? Selwyn Havelock-Porter. He uh, was a very good uh, chief commissioner. He didn't work his way up through the job. He was a manager at Myers before he got the top job. What about Rupert Arnold? He... uh, was commonly referred to as Sheep's Head. Is that because of what he looked like or was it about his performance? Yeah, he wasn't uh, much of a Chief Commissioner and should never have achieved that rank. Noel Wilby. Noel Wilby was um, an ex-homicide squad detective and was very good, but he suffered from a lot of ill health and... uh, He didn't remain as Chief Commissioner for very long, and he retired. Reg Jackson. Reg Jackson was very good. No relation to me, but uh, a very practical Chief Commissioner. Mick Miller. Probably the pick of the lot. Uh, Mick was a great Chief Commissioner and uh, one of the best uh, that I've ever served under. Kel Glare. Didn't uh, think much of Kel. He was an assistant commissioner and was trying to work his way up to become chief commissioner. But I didn't have uh, much regard for him. So who was the chief commissioner, Bill, that you admired and, and why? The pick of the lot was Mick Miller. He, uh, he was very progressive he brought uh, a lot of uh, new procedures into VicPol, and uh, I had high respect for him. You retired as a chief super. Do you remember, you know, uh, what was the process when you retired? When did you start thinking about retirement? It uh, was a very sudden, uh, in those days you retired at 60 years of age. You had no say in that, so... The day before you turned 60, um, that was your last uh, day. Uh, I took the car back that I had been issued with and uh, on Monday I said to my wife, well, that's it, Uh, what are we going to do? And uh, so we 
went on a, a cruise to Vanuatu. So there's not really a transition period, was there? None at all. And when you think that I was in charge of that district for eight years, I knew more about that district than any other police chief superintendent in Victoria. And I could have passed a lot of information on to my successor, but uh, I never got that opportunity. Was retirement what you expected, Bill? Uh, oh, I suppose it was because you knew when you were going to finish and, uh, and uh, you know, that part of your life was over. Today, uh, they can stay in the job a lot longer. They can stay until they're 70, but 60 was the compulsory retirement age at that time. You retired, as I said, as a chief super, but of course, Vicpol no longer have that rank. Now, why is that, do you think, and what's been lost? Well, they've flattened the rank structure. There, these days, there is no rank of chief inspector and there's no rank of chief superintendent, so that they've flattened the structure and of course they've they've cancelled a lot of people's intention to receive higher rank. They're, they're, that opportunity is now not there any longer. A, an inspector today would be an inspector for a long time because there's no chief inspector's job. And the same with the superintendent. He'd be hoping to make chief superintendent no longer that opportunity because the rank's not there. When you were chief super, did you have any um, ideas or did you want to go further up the, you know, up the rank structure? No, I didn't want to go any further than that. Um, I was quite happy to be a chief superintendent in charge of a very large district with about uh, 23 police complexes under my control and about, oh, about over 600 personnel. What adjustments did you have to make, Bill? Do you remember, was it hard to get out of looking at the heads in the, in the traffic as you pulled up in, in your, the car at the lights? Like, what adjustments did you have to make as someone who went from virtually being a chief super one day to being a civilian the next? Well, it's funny that you say that because a lot of uh, things that I used to do in the job, I still do today. Uh, an example, if I pull up at the traffic light somewhere and I'm driving, I look to my right to see who's in the car on my right and then I look to the left to see who's in the car on my left and that's, that's an old... Uh, a copper's trick, I guess. Are there any other things like that that you do? No, that's all the rest has faded uh, into memory because uh, Vicpol is, is a totally different uh, um, structure now than it was when I was there. You were in Squad 5 of 1956. Now, how many of your squad mates are still alive, Bill? I'm the only one. 
is that a bit of a surprise to you that you're the last man standing? Oh, no. Some of them uh, fell by the wayside. Uh, uh, a couple ended up in jail. Some got the sack. Um, you know, there was, there was a high uh, uh, retarding rate. Were there any that you kept in contact with? Like, do you think that's important to keep up with your squad mates? Uh, I'm still in the, they now call them the, uh, the veterans of uh, Victoria Police. And uh, yes, I have uh, some contact with other people, but not a great deal. Members talk about the fact that, you know, there's a real allegiance and a brotherhood um, or a sisterhood. Um, do you still feel that, do you think, when you retire? Do you still feel an affinity with police members and with the organisation? Not really. I don't think uh, much is made of uh, people once they've retired. It's, you know, they've given their working life to it and uh, nothing much is, is sort of said as you get into retirement. So you think the old saying of nothing more X than an X, is that accurate? Probably right, yes. You worked as a, a young detective in the second-hand dealer squad with the renowned Reg Henderson, the detective with the photographic memory. Now, what did Reg teach you? Not a great deal because uh, Reginald Ernest Henderson was very much a loner and uh, he worked mainly by himself and I was in a, a small squad that he was in charge of. He was a senior detective and I was one of three detectives that worked in that squad. But Reg always worked by himself and uh, he had a great um, arrest rate but he didn't... Uh, he didn't do any more than that. If he picked up a, a crim that was wanted, uh, he would take him back to Russell Street CIB and he would ring up the uh, appropriate uh, CIB, Metropolitan CIB, that were looking for that person. And Reg didn't do any more than arrest them and uh, then hand them over. Did he teach you a lot about... Um how to carry yourself, though, because he seemed to have a, a real dignity and a lot of members that worked with him speak of the, uh, the respect that he had in the job. Is that something that he did teach you? Oh, yes. He was, um, he was a very uh, much respected member. He never smoked. He never drank. Um, he was always uh, a good sportsman in his early days. He used to... Uh, play tennis on Wednesday afternoons uh, when he was in the job and they would play other teams within Victoria Police. And, uh, yeah, he was, he was a gentleman, a thorough gentleman. And I think he also used to ballroom dance, didn't he? Yeah, he was. He was uh, always well-dressed and, uh, and, you know, he was a very accomplished man. Did Reg really have a photographic memory? Because, you know, there's all sorts of theories about this, but what do you think? 
he carried, uh, he used to carry books in his rear pocket and he would go and stand, for instance, on the corner of um, Burke Street and Swanson Street in the in the peak period in the morning or in the afternoon and he would watch people walk past and he carried a couple of booklets in his rear pants pocket and they would have photos about uh, postage stamp size of different uh, people that were crims or were wanted and he would just stand there and uh, you know and for half an hour in the peak time and usually he'd he'd capture someone and take them back to Russell Street but that was it he would not uh, go to court and give evidence against them because uh, he didn't know those details so he was good at at virtually picking you know picking the heads as it were yes yes what makes a good detective uh, I think you've got to be prepared to uh, follow through. You get a lead. Uh, perhaps you don't have enough evidence um, to uh, to arrest someone, so you've you've got to scout around and uh, find more evidence before you finally arrest them. Because if you don't have enough evidence and put them before a court. Uh, the case will be dismissed and, you know, that's that's no good for anyone. So you've got to make sure you've got the evidence and, and the charge will stick and convict them. You went to DTS or Detective Training School. How did they train uniform members to become detectives? Well, before you did uh, DTS, you were uh, stationed at one of the CI branches in what they called a special patrol and you worked in plain clothes with experienced detectives and you learnt from their experience. And I was sent to St Kilda CIB and I worked with detectives there. Some of uh, them were good and some of them weren't so good. They'd, uh, they'd reached as far as they were going to go and, uh, and they didn't do much of a job, but the majority of them were good. What was your best nab as a detective? Um, probably I did a, a very big job at the National Gallery. Um, they were losing their coins and they wondered where they were going and I was given the job to find out what was happening and I, I, there was a, they didn't have a numismatist to look after their coin collection but they had a guy that was also, uh, he was in another area but he used to go to the coin room and he was the only one that had a key, a key to the coin room. And they were losing all sorts of coins. And I found out about him and I arrested him and charged him with thousands and thousands of pounds in those days of coins that he'd stolen. So he was obviously had the specialist ability to choose the best ones and nab them. 
Yes, and when he went to trial, um, he had a very uh, good barrister and when I charged him with, you know, so many so many modern coins of, you know, perhaps it was a, a 1920 penny, he might have had 10 of those, he might have had a number of uh, florins, which used to be two, $2 pieces in those days, two shilling pieces, and I charged him with all of those. And when he went to court, his barrister said, well, I couldn't prove that they were the ones that were stolen from the coin room. But what he didn't know was that he had also stolen coins that were handmade and they were unique. And so even though we couldn't prove that the 1923, 24, 25, whatever they were, uh, we couldn't prove those, we certainly scuttled him on the on the handmade ones because they had rubbings of those and he got sentenced to quite a a lengthy period of imprisonment which he would have done very hard. I remember also one stage you coming home in a with a cardboard box and having several little ducklings. Now do you remember that? Yeah, I do. It uh, happened when I was a sergeant at Collingwood and I was working night shift and uh, and we were driving around somewhere in Collingwood and we saw these four or five of these little fluffy ducks uh, roaming around. So I caught them and put them in a box and took them home the next morning when I'd finished night shift and... Uh, we had a uh, an above-ground swimming pool and uh, I put them in the swimming pool and they were quite happy there and we, we had them for quite some time. <laughs> I do remember that. So, Bill, what do you think of policing today? You're now out of the job. You've been out of the job for 25 years. What do you think of the job today? Well, it's a totally different organisation to when I was there and, uh, um, you know, it's made in some cases progress and I think in others uh, perhaps they've lost something but I don't have uh, much contact now with uh, Vic Pohl but, uh, you know, it's certainly a different organisation to when I was there. And finally, what was your career highlight, do you think? You spent 40 years in the job. What was the highlight for you? Oh, probably that uh, job that I told you about with uh, the coins from the National Gallery. I think that was, that was probably uh, one of the biggest uh, jobs that I'd had and, you know, spent a lot of time. Uh, in fact, uh, when... Uh, we took possession of the coins that uh, were stolen by the by the uh, bloke that was working there. Um, they didn't go into the property room. They were so valued that I used to take them into the chief commissioner's office and they were locked in his safe. Thank you very much, Bill, for sitting with me today on The Crime Catch. It's been a real pleasure. 
Thank you, Rochelle. It's been good. Thanks for joining me. I'm Rochelle Jackson, and I look forward to your company next time on The Crime Cash.